everybody, and welcome to the Talking CX podcast. It's so great to uh, be back for another year. I hope that your holidays were wonderful, and I hope that your new year is starting off the same. We are really excited about the uh, new plans that we have for this year here at Talking CX. As you know, last year, we covered the uh, 2021's top CX challenges for that year. And we had some really great topics. And at the end of the year, we had our guest, Jeff Sheehan, who was talking with us about CX prioritization and ROI. And one of the things that came out of that was the realization that kind of laid the foundation for what we want to do this year. And that is we really want to focus on the differences um, between CX as it's done in the U.S., and CX as it's done everywhere else, because it's a great big world out there. CX is a very important factor in businesses all over the world, in every part of the world. And we'd like to focus on some of the differences between the way CX is done in other parts of the world and what we can learn from that, because there's a lot that we can um, understand about how it's done elsewhere and how we can apply that to what we're doing here in the U.S. And so to start us off with that, I'm so really excited to have uh, a new guest here. And of course, we have Graham. Hi, Graham. Welcome back. Hi. Happy New Year. Hi, Robin. It's great to be here. I love the idea of the CX around the world concept. And I hope I don't mangle your name, so please correct that after I introduce you. But we have Garul Kurt, and he is, I believe, from um, Turkey in Central Europe and the founder and CEO of Alterna CX. And so, Garul, thank you so much for being here with us, and I'm excited to hear about you and your background, and, and about your company. Uh, thank you, Robin. Uh, thank you, Graham. Uh, uh, thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited uh, to be here uh, myself. Uh, sure, I'm very happy to uh, share uh, my experiences um, in the other parts of the world, uh, as you also mentioned, regarding CX, how it's applied there, and the differences. Um, so I'm sure it will be a, um, a very fun conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. So what was it that really got you into customer experience? What is it that really motivated you and made you feel like, hey, this is where I want to focus in my career? Um, sure. Um, actually, all my career uh, has been about uh, customer, uh, customer centricity, customer experience. Um, uh, so I started as a consultant uh, maybe uh, 20 years um, back, and um, uh, I was uh, a partner of uh, a company called Peppers and Regis Group, uh, which is known uh, for uh, customer centricity. Uh, then uh, I continued uh, uh, on the buy side. Um, it's a company called uh, Telia uh, Sonera. It was called Telia Sonera at that time. Now it's called Telia Company, which is a Scandinavian um, um, Scandinavia-based telco group, telecommunications group, and I was customer experience director there uh, in the Eurasia region. 
Uh, and in the last uh, six years, um, I'm on the vendor side, um, a co-founder of Altern CX. Uh, so all my career, uh, I have been uh, doing uh, stuff, uh, projects, um, improvements uh, in the name of uh, customer centricity. It is uh, kind of in my DNA. For me, everything begins with customer centric thinking. Uh, whether it's a project uh, or operations as usual, um, I believe everything needs to be designed and executed around the customer. So uh, why I started Alterna, I think uh, I should be mentioning about uh, my time uh, very briefly at Talia. So during my time at Talia, um, um, I noticed that the majority of the uh, customer experience related uh, focus um, was on measurement uh, and reporting. Yet um, we also needed a clear understanding of uh, what drives the satisfaction uh, with how much impact on KPIs, uh, what drives customer emotions and why, uh, so that we can take the necessary improvement actions and prioritize them for uh, maximum uh, impact. Uh, in the end, we established Alterna uh, as a voice of uh, customer solution that goes beyond measurement and reporting. And uh, we have chosen customer experience insight generation and action taking uh, as our differentiating capabilities uh, in words of customer. Um, this is thanks to our machine learning-based cutting-edge technology in uh, natural language processing. Uh, so we have uh, models uh, that are ready that can predict topics, sentiments, emotions, uh, intent, such as customer churn, suggestions, as well as um, the impact of change, satisfaction change in each area on the uh, KPIs, such as net promoter score. Um, then alternate triggers, alerts, and uh, manage improvement actions to close the loop. Uh, so in a way, we establish Alterna uh, to, uh, to close the gap, the, uh, the need for understanding uh, the drivers of satisfaction. Um, so that was the idea behind Alterna. Can you give me an example of what's missing in a scenario and then what you do that fills that gap so we can kind of create a picture of it? Sure. I mean, majority uh, of companies, this was more so in the past, it is changing um, quickly, but majority of companies, um, uh, when they think of voice of customer, um, um, they think of capabilities in uh, measuring KPIs, uh, such as net promoter score, uh, such as the customer satisfaction score, CSAT, etc., uh, um, uh, and reporting them in dashboard so that the organization uh, knows. Um, but um, in customer experience, um, we talk about a continuous improvement loop, uh, as we call it. It's a continuous process. So it's not about uh, just measuring NPS. It's not about just um, uh, dashboards and reporting uh, the outcomes. It's about taking actions. Um, in order to take actions, you need to understand why a uh, customer is dissatisfied. What are the root causes of this dissatisfaction so that you can uh, plan and take the necessary uh, remedy action accordingly? Uh, and when you take the action, the loop is closed. So what the missing point was, the focus was too much on the measurement part and reporting part, part but there was not much focus on the analysis part, like what, what is causing the dissatisfaction and what should we be doing to address the dissatisfaction. Mm -hmm. So really what you specialize in uh, the, is the root cause analysis of what's causing a poor NPS score. Along other things, but yes. What is it about customer experience that you've observed with your clients in Central Europe that kind of made you want to focus on that? Sure. Um, obviously, um, we need to think of uh, customer experiences. Um, uh, there are um, 
many differences that we could be mentioning. And um, during um, um, this recording, we could be uh, talking uh, on many of them, obviously. Um, I think one difference uh, uh, that I'm seeing um, in Central Europe is uh, they have uh, been around for some time for, with long histories. And by long, I mean sometimes 100 plus years old. Uh, and they have uh, deeply rooted uh, silos uh, in the organization uh, as well as uh, way of working. Uh, there's a strong muscle, um, I would say, uh, is in uh, data uh, and analytics. Um, uh, so in-depth analysis uh, takes time. Uh, there is deliberate uh, effort um, um, uh, spent on these analysis, but uh, the products, uh, the processes, uh, the journeys uh, designed and built after such um, uh, analysis uh, are typically more enduring uh, and they are more durable. Um, that's what I'm, uh, I have observed. So, uh, the, obviously, there is a risk of uh, overthinking, uh, but they are putting measures in place uh, to prevent analysis and paralysis uh, uh, coming out of um, overthinking. But I would say uh, they are spending uh, significant effort and time before making things live. Uh, thanks to their strong capabilities in the uh, field of data and data analytics, um, um, the um, experience journeys they have designed, uh, the um, experiences their customers uh, go through. Um, uh, there's much, you know, much less complaints, much fewer complaints, and uh, the experiences are much more uh, for the longer term. I mean, they are more enduring for the longer term. Okay, so just to make it simplistic here, one of the first differences between Central Europe and the U.S. is that there's already a tendency to really pay more attention to to data in an in-depth kind of way. Yep. And they and that really drives how they move forward with their uh, customer experience approach. Yep, exactly. And another thing that I would expect to happen that would be a difference is, uh, you know, Central Europe is divided into a lot of smaller markets as compared to, you know, here in the U.S., we have one giant contiguous market here in the U.S. I mean, there are minor differences in by region and demographic, but I would think it would be more pronounced there in Central Europe. And before we get into how that might impact, um, you know, how you approach customer experience there, can you kind of define for everybody just what you mean by Central Europe? Sure. Um, um, obviously, uh, Europe itself, like you mentioned, um, is uh, pretty much... Uh, divided among many countries, but Central Europe specifically, I mean countries uh, such as um, G- uh, Germany, um, uh, Hungary, Austria, um, as well as uh, Italy, Czech Republic, that part. Um, so, uh, but I could be talking about uh, other parts of Europe as well, since we have experiences uh, in those um, regions as well, West as well as Eastern Europe as well. So, um, it, I want to give a couple of examples uh, from my experiences. Uh, maybe it will make it more clear, the, um, some, uh, some actual experiences. So um, when I was uh, at Telia, uh, this uh, Scandinavia-based uh, telco uh, operator, uh, I observed big differences uh, in 
uh, net promoter scores uh, across countries. So typically, uh, when you look at companies um, uh, in Scandinavian and Baltic uh, countries, countries like um, Sweden, uh, Finland, Norway, as well as Estonia, Latvia, uh, etc., um, you see pretty low scores on net promoter scores, NPS scores. So it's uh, sometimes between uh, 0 uh, to 10, and sometimes even uh, negative uh, scores. Um, uh, but when you look at, for instance, Eurasian countries, uh, which was my responsibility area as well, uh, on the other hand, the scores are pretty high. So you see scores around 50s and 60s. So on paper, when you compare the countries, uh, you would say, uh, oh, so in Eurasia, the customer experience performance is much better than um, Scandinavia or a Baltic region. Uh, but that's not the case, as you would imagine. Um, so what's happening is in these countries, countries like uh, Sweden, countries like Estonia, the customers are um, uh, much more demanding uh, from the companies. Um, and when they give scores, um, you know, uh, they give uh, scores that end up with NPS scores uh, in the low ends, um, uh, you know, NPS of 10, NPS of um, 0, something like that. Um, uh, so it is low, but in their eyes, they are giving a sufficient score. They are already giving a good score. Um, there is a big cultural difference in terms of how these uh, customers are um, uh, rating, uh, perceiving the performance uh, of their companies they are getting the service from. Uh, so we learned uh, that uh, we shouldn't be focusing on the score itself um, when we you know, uh, make analysis at the group level, uh, because it is really different. Um, um, but we should be concentrating on continuous improvement. So what we um, looked uh, was the continuous improvement of each and every country on its own. Um, um, uh, but we didn't really try to compare different com com uh, countries between each other because there's a big, huge um, cultural uh, you know, uh, perception uh, difference. Um, maybe another example I could be mentioning from those days is... Um, we noticed that in uh, this time in Eastern European uh, countries, mostly uh, like Georgia, Moldova, uh, the education system uh, is based from one to five uh, point scale there. So when you ask it, for instance, a transactional NPS question uh, to the customer in these countries, um, it's a, uh, you know they give a score of uh, five, six, uh, and they are thinking that they are giving a, you know average score. So it met my expectations. That's the idea. But as you know, uh, in NPS methodol uh, methodology. Um, it's a detractor score. So they had difficult time, uh, the customers had difficult time in understanding the 10-point scale. So we had to adopt uh, our scale uh, in such countries, the measurement scale in such countries, so that the customers find it easier uh, to understand. Um, so the cultural differences affect um, how we measure the performance for sure. Uh, another uh, point I want to make um, is about um, uh, how different it is between countries in terms of um, uh, customer service. So uh, in our observations, product quality um, is more important uh, in Central Europe, and in Europe in general, but Central Europe for sure, um, than a helpful stuff. Um, uh, in fact, there's an assumption uh, that approaching the customers uh, before they ask for help uh, is a bit uh, invasive. Uh, uh, even in the store uh, or in the physical location. But of course, when asked for help, uh, the um, uh, store uh, personnel provides really good service. So uh, to distract, illustrate my point, um, uh, I want to talk about an example from uh, Metro Keshankeri. Uh, this is a Germany-based 
uh, retail group. Um, they're uh, also uh, in the wholesale business as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to compare two, com- uh, two countries this time, uh, Germany versus Turkey. Uh, in Germany, uh, the uh, uh, staff size, the amount of uh, uh, people working in the store uh, is much lower uh, than compared to uh, Turkey. So in Germany, it's a much a smaller staff size versus Turkey. And they are continuously uh, analyzing uh, root causes of satisfaction in both, you know, in every country, including these two countries. And um, uh, in Germany, although the staff size is small, uh, they don't uh, see uh, much complaint coming uh, from customers about uh, lack of sufficient attention in the in the in the store. Um, so uh, there's even an appetite for for self service as much as possible. On the contrary, in Turkey, for instance, uh, although the staff size is higher um, in the store, um, this is a common complaint uh, from the customer uh, that uh, th- you know they complain about uh, lack of uh, sufficient care. The uh, people in the store, the st- uh, store uh, personnel, uh, did not approach them. They didn't help them sufficiently, etc. Uh, so it's a, again a cultural um, difference in terms of expectation from the uh, store staff. I would say in Central Europe, in countries like Germany, the uh, product quality uh, is um, um, a bit more important than a helpful staff. Um, uh, I can say that. Uh, another, maybe a final example on this point is. Um, uh, I came across um, another retail group. Uh, it's a multi-country retail group, um, and look, you know, I came across an analysis they made uh, in terms of similarities and differences uh, in customer experience-related issues across different countries. So, uh, for instance, they found that uh, some issues, such as wait time at the cashier, uh, is a common issue everywhere. So, regardless of the country, typically it is at the top of uh, every CX issue-related uh, uh, agenda. But uh, there are other issues such as attitude, personal attitude, uh, pricing, product availability um, that are mostly local. So it's really different from country to country. And even within the same country, uh, uh, it is different uh, from store to store. So maybe pricing and product availability could be about the company, country's economics as well as logistics of the company there. Uh, but per, uh, pers- uh, personal attitude, for instance, um, this is something cultural as well. Some Com- uh, countries, some cultures in the countries, uh, they um, um, they pay much more attention to the attitude of the people they are dealing with, whereas in other countries, um, it's not that important and they even prefer self-service and they want to get things done on their own as quickly as possible without even, uh, you know, bothering to see people uh, if possible. So there are differences. So if a business wants to do business in Germany and in Turkey, they're going to have to have a different mindset for for the two countries as to how they approach customer experience and how they prioritize for these different locations. Definitely, definitely. In Germany, um, the processes, the products would be uh, very important. Uh, I'm not saying it's, they're not important in Turkey, but in Turkey, something else is as important, and that's um, your relationship with the uh, personnel, uh, the touch point uh, staff that you are talking to, their attitudes, uh, their coming back, uh, coming to you and offering their help. These, these things are very important for us in Turkey. If a business doesn't already understand how things are different, they're going to need someone like you 
to kind of give them a guide as to how things work or how they how people are expecting them to conduct their business. Yeah, if they uh, ask for uh, our support, of course, I'll be very happy to provide. Um, but definitely, they should be, uh, uh, you know, getting guidance or maybe hiring local people for sure in their uh, teams uh, to address such issues, um, especially for uh, um, U.S. companies uh, who are looking for international expansion and you know, um, and, uh, looking for uh, opening businesses uh, in uh, these countries uh, that we are talking about. I highly recommend them uh, that they hire local people or work with. Um, experts, um, uh, local experts um, uh, to, you know, uh, speed up learnings. Otherwise, they will learn by themselves all these things over the years, but it's possible to speed things up. They'll, they'll, they'll learn through the school of hard knocks, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and Robin, I would, uh, I, would, I would add to that, that, that thinking about the U.S. marketplace, you know, as we compare and contrast, um, Many of the things that Garal is referring to, I think, are are true here in the United States. It's just that we have this, you know, large, somewhat homogenous, same kind of overlay, right? So smart companies in the U.S. recognize that there are, you know, significant differences. There are, you know, there are cultural differences. There are potentially linguistic differences. There are you know, stylistic differences, there are ethnographic differences in specific segments. It's just that when we, you know, when we transfer from the US where you have this relatively homogenous society of 300 and something million people, you know, across 50 states, and then you move to say Europe, where, as I always like to think about it, states in the United States are countries in Europe. So those those cultural, linguistic, and stylistic differences become much more marked and much more defined in those environments. So I think there's, you know, you don't have that opportunity to say there's a 350 million person European, you know, community continent with that kind of homogenous overlay in the same way as you do in the United States. So I think it's a simply a question of, of companies opening their eyes in both cases, but recognizing that those differences are just so much more foundational and fundamental once you get outside the United States. Yeah, good point. The other major difference between U.S. and Central Europe that I know of is, or that, you know, I, I assume that I know, but you can tell me, girl, if you agree, that the U.S. is very innovative. Like, we love new technology, right? And we always are quick to implement it, but not necessarily that quick to really reap all of the benefits. Sometimes it takes us a while, maybe a long while, in order to actually reap the benefits of that technology. Um, is that the way it is in Central Europe too, Guril? Or is there a difference in the way they approach technology, new technology? Um. I think there is a difference. Uh, let me try to explain. Uh, in my view, uh, the customer experience uh, leaders, um, companies like Zappos, uh, Ritz, Carlton, Netflix, Apple, uh, these names that are shown as global benchmarks, uh, um, uh, as best performers in CX, they typically come from the US market. Um, yeah, obviously, there are international 
non-US examples as well, but majority is um, coming from US. Um, uh, I think the, uh, you know, that th- th- there are several reasons for this, I'm, sh- um, uh, you know, I'm sure, but I think one reason uh, is uh, the highly competitive uh, nature uh, of the US market uh, and also the frequency of uh, disruptions by uh, startups, uh, newcomers, um, uh, are forcing the companies to embrace uh, CX, customer experience, and uh, customer centricity. Um, in uh, Central Europe, um, the competitive intensity, as well as the uh, frequency of uh, disruptive uh, technologies and um, coming from startups, um, I would say it's coming maybe a bit behind the U.S. Uh, um, this is not to say uh, that it's not happening in, in Central Europe. It is definitely happening uh, in Central Europe as well, but um, it is coming at a more deliberate uh, pace uh, and uh, the expectations uh, are relatively uh, lower from um, my experiences. Um, uh, so uh, I, would, I can even say um, European companies have the uh, maybe maybe they have the luxury of being good enough. Um, in, in the U.S., I don't think companies have such a luxury. Like they have to excel continuously, uh, especially in the tech area. Uh, whereas in Europe, being good enough uh, could be sufficient uh, at least for some time. Uh, so um, obviously, the pace of technological innovation in the U.S. is is faster uh, in the U.S. when compared to Central uh, Europe. Um, uh, you know, I want to say a couple of more uh, more things from my ex- examples uh, uh, that could be related uh, with this uh, psychology in uh, Europe as well. So, for instance, in uh, Telia, the company um, uh, I was responsible uh, as a customer experience director for, um, the uh, contact centers uh, uh, were closed over the weekends in most of the, uh, the European countries. Uh, so, this doesn't mean that the customers don't need to call the contact center over the weekend. They do need to call, but it's okay. Uh, it is sufficient to have the contact centers open during weekdays, and uh, uh, it's fine if uh, they are closed. There is no expectation to have them open over the weekend. Um, and, and another example, for instance, um, people go on uh, lengthy vacations, like month-long vacations sometimes uh, over the summer uh, in, in uh, Europe. Um, and it's not uncommon to see closed shops, maybe uh, closed uh, teams in the, uh, in the, not closed teams, but like majority of the staff in the teams have gone on lengthy vacations. Therefore, the uh, team is not uh, uh, functioning um, normally uh, in the companies. So it's not uncommon to see such things. So this is, again, a psychology uh, regarding the pace of life, the pace of uh, the speed of uh, um uh, technology, the speed of um, uh, addressing customer needs. Europe is coming at a slower pace, uh, I would say, when compared to the US. Um, maybe I can say another example. Um, a Bosch executive uh, who is a friend of mine. By the way, Bosch is, a, again, Germany-based uh, white goods and electronics um, manufacturer. Uh, they're a global company. And uh, uh, so this, this gentleman uh, said, we may be spending eight months on something, so uh, a new idea, a new product, whatever. Uh, but once it's alive, we get almost zero complaints afterwards. So that's the mentality in the company, in the culture. Like rather than going live fast, they take their time. They want to make sure that they do the right thing. Uh, and they want to prevent the toxic revenues, uh, you know, if they uh, rush too quickly. 
Uh, and so that seems to be the priority, I would say, in um, Central Europe. But that sounds like a really good priority. Uh, so that's the trade-off. The, it's slower, but the end product is much more on target. They can have more confidence that the customer is actually really getting what they actually need and want. That's true. Um, they're not in a rush. Um, uh, the competitive intensity is not pushing them. There are not too many um, uh, startups uh, that are disrupting them. Uh, so uh, everything is done in the European uh, uh, theater as well. So it's not like they're not working on uh, technology and stuff like that, but it is slower pace. So, so, so- so, Garal, I have a question related to that because because I, I agree with you. I, how do how do you see that dynamic in Central Europe being impacted by you know external forces? I mean, I think of um, you know I think of kind of the great what I call the great continental powerhouses, economic powerhouses. You know, U.S., Europe, now China, um, and China seems to have adopted the innovation ferocity of the United States and may even be more ferocious innovate in an innovation area. But so if you think about, you know, what I think of the, the Amazons coming to town, the Facebooks coming to town, the, you know, there's, there's transformational technology driven forces. Um, and in, and in the, you know, in the, in the CX community, similarly in the technology community, similarly, how, how do you see, do you see those, you know, those different movements, I mean, Salesforce, another example, um, changing that perspective or changing Central European understanding of that perspective? I mean, ultimately, long-term success tends to ride in the middle of all the different forces, but do you see that changing that attitude or do you see there, you know, being a continuous focus on, you know, kind of the current culture and, and you know, holding on to the, the specific values of that culture while trying to adopt some of the some of the other kind of more more rapid changes that are being driven by those by those forces. I mean, I think of the, the statement in the U.S., which is every single company you go to, their customers respond at some point with the words, "If Amazon can do it, you can do it." Uh, I think they're changing. The short, the very short uh, answer uh, to your question, Graham, uh, from my side, will be uh, definitely changing. Um, as you mentioned. Uh, since we are living in a global economy, um, so this is not like 100 years ago when these companies were founded, let's say. Uh, uh, so yeah, there's maybe uh, the in, uh, competitive in- intensity within the C- uh, Central Europe could be at a slower pace, but uh, there's uh, competition coming from uh, United States, uh, there's com- competition coming from China and all the, uh, you know all these powerhouses, uh, as you put it. Uh, so uh, they are uh, changing. Uh, for sure. And uh, with concrete examples, uh, I'm seeing um, a lot of um, incubator, uh, accelerator uh, initiatives uh, coming out of these conglomerates. As a technology company, uh, uh, I'm seeing that a lot. So, in you know, uh, typically uh, the first names that come to mind when talking about technological innovation and uh, startup scale-up ecosystem, you know, um, Silicon Valley comes first, obviously, there are now new centers within the U.S., uh, but uh, Berlin, uh, Germany, uh, is increasingly uh, um, becoming an important uh, center for 
um, technology startups as well, and companies, these banks, um, telco operators, um, um, uh, they uh, are establishing uh, uh, programs uh, to, you know, like fintech programs, uh, if it's a bank, uh, like um, technology startup programs, accelerators, to invite these new uh, companies, these new uh, teams uh, into their ecosystem uh, to come up with new ideas, new technologies that might benefit them. Uh, so uh, the idea uh, is definitely changing. Great question, Grant. Thanks for asking that. Girl, thank you so much for this discussion. It's really enlightening and interesting to get your perspective. And also, I want to thank you in advance. I know we're going to have a second discussion for our next podcast, which has to do with the report that you do for 2022, the top five trends that Alternative CX put together. That'll be a great way to start off the year. Thank you so much, Guru. Uh, we really appreciate you being here. You're, you're most welcome. Thank you for inviting. Thank you for having me. Very much appreciated, Robin. You're, you're very welcome. And... Oh, it looks like girls dropped off, so that's fine. But girl, if you can hear me, I think what also would be a really fun thing to do is since we're talking about differences and experiences, I would love to know what food in Turkey do you recommend that someone try who's never tried anything from Turkey? And if you want to include one that you recommend they don't try, <laughs> that's fine too. So go ahead and think about that for a while. And we will include that at the beginning of our second podcast. And I think that'll be a lot of fun to listen to. Right, and I strongly, I strongly suspect that Garal won't raise Marmite. Marmite, as a something positive or negative? Well, he won't say it's something Turkish. It's something very English. I was going to say British, but I don't think the Scots and the Welsh and the Irish claim Marmite. It's a British, it's an English thing. And it's a, a very English thing. Any English people on the on the podcast will know exactly what Marmite is. And half of them will say it's something you should always try in your life. And the other half of people will say you should never go anywhere near it. They call it Vegemite in Australia, by the way, for those who like Okay. Vegemite. All right. Well, probably more people know what that is then. Well, what's something in England, Graham, that would always be a hit for most people, the majority of people? Staying away from the obvious things. Um, something that would always be a hit. I don't know. I mean, I think of the very English things that are different as being, you know, marmite and mushy peas and stuff, which is another connoisseur's food. Um, I think, you know, stuff like Cornish pasties and, um, we don't really have steak and kidney pies here in most places the way we do in England. And of course, you know, the staple of fish and chips. Well, I was thinking more about dessert, like most people love dessert, right? So is there ah. an English kind of dessert that you think would be awesome to try? Well, now you're in my, my strong my strong zone. So, I mean, you've got, you've got, I mean, I, I happen to personally love mince, mince pies. Um, and I think you and I were talking the other day about since it's the, it's, it's just after the holiday season, um, Jamaican ginger cake, which is a particularly phenomenal 
food that everybody should try. So I'd probably settle on Jamaican ginger cake. Okay. Out of everything you just said, try Jamaican ginger cake, everybody. <laughs> that does sound really, really good. Right. And we know, and we know, and we know, no sponsors. The easiest version of that to find is by McVitie's. McVitie's is a very English brand who also make Jaffa cakes and other things. But McVitie's Jamaican ginger cake is a, is an experience everybody should have once in their lifetime. Awesome. Okay. Well, there's our first entry. And hey, it would be fun to hear what everyone else's favorite food from a, a country other than the U.S. is that they would recommend. So, you know, if anybody has something like that, please feel free to use our little microphone. Uh, you can find that at the, at the end of any of our website pages. And just send us a message and tell us what you would recommend if there was only one food that a person could try from your country, it should be this. So I think that would be fun because, you know, we're going to continue um, our CX Around the World series. So we're going to continue to look for those differences in CX experience uh, across different countries. And also, if you can think of somebody that you would recommend who knows a lot about customer experience in a specific country, please also feel free to tell us who that is. Or if it's you, you can also tell us that it's you. <laughs> that would be fine too. If there's a country in particular that you really like, that you want to know more about customer experience in that particular country, let us know what that is too. No, no comment from you, Grant. Oh, I wasn't. No, you were looking for one. Sorry. <laughs> a long, a long pregnant pause long pregnant is kind pause. of an invitation. Oh, it is. Okay, I thought it was just we were waiting to wrap. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and we're looking forward to bringing you our top five trends. In the meantime, remember, do CX right. Do it right now. <laughs>